Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. As we continue our periodic evening study through the Psalms, John Carroll uh, began this study uh, sometime in eons past. And uh, whenever I get an opportunity to preach in the evening, we turn back to this particular book uh, to cheer our hearts. Psalm 47. Hear the word of the Lord. To the choir master. A psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us. The pride of Jacob, whom he loves. He has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that your word, which is true and sure, would be open to us. Bless our hearts and lives, we pray, with this song meant to delight our hearts in you. And we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this evening, the Old Testament equivalent of the Oak Ridge Boys are back. The sons of Korah have come again to serenade us. They've come with a goal of having our hearts delight in the Lord and to delight in the Word of God. And they give us some downright toe-tapping and smile-making music with which so to do. And as they sing these nine verses in Psalm 47, I hope that we'll all see and feel as was intended, the Mighty One is on the throne of heaven and the throne of earth. The Mighty One is on the throne of earth. Well, there's an opening call to praise. Uh, The opening of this particular psalm calls us to join in praising the Lord. This is not a This is not a performance that we sit back in our chairs and just sort of watch. This is one of those interactive uh, sort of concerts where we have to stand on our feet and we have to clap our hands and we have to take part as well. It's It's like being at the Grand Old Opry on steroids. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. You know, as a child, I can remember... I can remember singing from the earliest of days, and it must have been in Sunday school. Maybe our kids sing this in VBS. Clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Do we sing that? I'm not sure if that's in the right century or not, but uh, we used to enjoy it when I was young. It's an opening which is drawing us to come and gather in the worship of God, not just to be a spectator, but to be a participant. All should come and praise the Lord. 
All the people should come. Now, the form of worship, which is described here, is, of course, the Old Testament form of worship. It has great continuity with the new. But we need to note that this is a, in the particular Old Testament genre, just like uh, country is a little different than bluegrass, is a little different than classical. This is Old Testament temple or tabernacle worship. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. You see, in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple complex, uh, you had choirs, you had participation by the people sometimes as the cultic rites were done. Uh, there would be uh, not a, an arranged symphony like uh, would delight uh, our Western mind, perhaps, in its musical taste. There would be a concophony of noise and harmony and sound that was overwhelming in order to lift up our hearts and minds to heaven, in order to make us feel the drama and the seriousness of our sin and of God's covenant love and a forgiveness that comes only through the blood of the divine Messiah that is expected. Oh, Old Testament tabernacle and temple worship pointed to Jesus. They pointed to Christ and to His benefits. And note that the psalm calls not just the sons of Israel to worship, but all the peoples, all the nations. That means that you and I have an invitation to come as well. If we had been there when this psalm had been penned, if we had heard the sons of Korah singing out their strains, we would have been invited to participate as well, to come and honor and worship and praise the Lord. But this is not just an emotional manipulation. Uh, This is not some shallow appeal of Madison Avenue. The sons of Korah are serious about praising God. And they are serious about our need to praise Him. And they give us very good and clear reasons as to why we should praise the Lord. In verses 2 to 5, they tell us that we should praise the Lord because of the great conquest of God. Verse 2 says... For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. And so we posture ourselves, we we prepare to hear about God who is mighty in battle, about God who is, is mighty and able to triumph over his and our enemies. He is a great king. The nations are to tremble in his presence. The peoples are to bow down to him lest they be subdued. And in verse 3 we read, He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Here the sons of Korah are pointing us back to redemptive history. They're pointing us back to the conquest of the promised land. They're pointing us back to the promise that was made before that to Father Abraham. Father Abraham had been promised the land. He had been promised that it would be his descendants' land. And he was a wise enough man in his estimation of God and interaction with him and the light of revelation that God had given. But the author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us that he knew that it was not just a piece of real estate that he was after in some uh, little quadrant of, of planet Earth. But that the land stood for being with God forever. He looked past the land to a greater land. He looked 
pass the earth uh, in that little plot to all of the new heavens and the new earth over which God was the creator and the sustainer. Oh, the promise by God to Abraham would be fulfilled, but there would be a long and difficult journey in its fulfillment. What happened to the sons, the grandsons, the great-great-grandsons of Abraham? Well, they first sojourned in Egypt, as we heard this morning. But then they went from sojourning to being enslaved and despised. And so from bondage, they were blessed by God who heard their cries with the fulfillment of covenant promises. And so they were given exodus. They were given relief. Even their wanderings in the wilderness could not overthrow the covenant promises of God. And so by particularly giving reference back, looking back to God's conquest of the promised land, of taking His people out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and conquering for them the peoples and giving them this land, God is showing Himself to be the primary actor. God is the one who gives blessings to His people it's not that uh, we are clever enough to wrestle blessings from God or, or clever enough to, to occupy and take them ourselves by our own manipulation and technique. Many today would have you believe that. They would have you believe not by the taking up of a sword or a chariot, but, but some sort of uh, sword or chariot of the emotions. That if you just get feeling right or, or thinking the right way, then you can triumph. But here, the sons of Korah are pointing to what God has done, that He subdued peoples under us, that He subdued nations under our feet. God chose our heritage, the pride of Jacob, whom He loves. And so why should we praise the Lord? Why should we add our voice to that of the sons of Korah? Because God has done great things And He has done a great conquest for Israel of old. And Israel today should give praise and thanksgiving to God because of all that He has done in the past in His covenant blessings to our fathers before. But then the passage pivots. This is sort of like a ham sandwich. You know, there's a very nice piece of bread on either side. Very tasty. But there is some wonderful smoked salmon in the middle or or ham in the middle. Here the most important words of the psalm are given in verse 5. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the shout of a trumpet. Now this passage pivots on this verse because it is the transition between two different calls to praising God. One an opening call and the other an ending call. But notice that the pivoting passage here is about God ascending, about God going up. And so we're left asking the same kind of question that the Apostle Paul himself asked in Ephesians chapter 4. As he was writing to the church at Ephesus, he said these words, quoting from the Old Testament Psalms. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led host captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is one 
who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. This is the the rationale or basis for Paul's conclusion. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. God ascended, ascended in triumph. He ascended with a shout that all the earth would know that he had not fled in retreat from his enemies, but that he had triumphed over them. And so he went back and sat on the throne of God as the one who had conquered and won the battle. But that implies that God had first come down, that the Son of God incarnate first came to this earth to do this great work, to conquer all of his and our enemies to conquer that great enemy of death, uh, to do that which we ourselves could not do, obeying God's law at every point all along the way. There is something of a, a pointing to or a foreshadowing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here because He is the one person of the Trinity who has come down and done great things and ascended again with a shout of triumph. And so no wonder the sons of Korah turned then to their last call to praise and sing to us, beginning uh, in the next verse, verse 6. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. Now when I was growing up, if my father told me something one time, I was to quickly obey. If my father had to tell me something two times, uh, the temperature was going up and something would soon happen, voluntarily or involuntarily. Three times was almost unthinkable. We lived by the uh, two strikes and you're out, sometimes three strikes and you're out when he was in a good mood. But four times here, almost five times, we're told by the sons of Korah that this is grounds on which to sing praises to God. The call for us to praise the Lord here is clearly overwhelming. It's a fourfold call in verse 6, repeated again another call in verse 7. And now the, the repetition of this is not because uh, only that we are hard of hearing, but God is inspiring the sons of Korah for a call of completeness, a call of fullness. There should be no doubt No one in all the earth, no one in all the realm that God has created and sustained should fail to sing His praise. And then there's another subtle thing going on here. Do you notice the switch of nouns? God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet in verse 5. And so we have again a shift in verse 6. Sing praises to God. And then in the the reflexive aspect of that verse, sing praises to our King, for God is the King of all the earth. God and King together, pointing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ our Lord is the one who is the grounds on which we are called to sing and praise. 
You know, when we do pastoral prayers in our church, you can, you can look at the bulletin and you can watch it like a hawk every Sunday. There will be a prayer from this pulpit thanking God that He is the God of all worth of praise, that He is all-powerful, that He is all-knowing, that He is all-wise. We will, we will praise and thank God for who He is and what He's like. And then we always also mention something about His creation that He has created the world, and that all of us in this room have a reason to praise and thank Him because He made us. He is our Maker and our Sustainer. But we never leave it there because your first father and your first mother as well as mine were rebellious against the holy and true and living God. And so we find ourselves in need of God as our Savior. And so God King comes. God King Jesus comes. The one who is truly God and truly man comes. And He saves us from our sins. He is the one who is victorious over the devil and victorious over evil with a shout. And so we should, we ought to sing His praise anew. And the psalm ends by focusing on another reason why we should praise the Lord. In the earlier section, it was because of the conquest of God over the nations. But in this latter part, it's because of God's conquest over man. The conquest of man by God is now listed. God reigns over the nations. He sits on His holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. It's not that man is the one who is triumphant, but rather God is triumphant. God is the one who is triumphant over all the nations, and so He is King and Lord over all the peoples. The earlier illustration given in the first part of the chapter is all about what He did in the past with the surrounding nations of Canaan. But now, God is speaking not just of the Canaanites, but of the Persians and of the Greeks. He's speaking of the Romans and the Scots and the Americans. Of those from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, every continent of the earth and nations that have wandered through all the continents of the earth. God is king over all the earth, we are here being told. And He reigns over all the nations. And it's not just that He defeats them once in a battle. As our nations come to see, that can be the easy part. The hard part is reigning over them, continuing to subdue them, continuing to hold power, keeping the peace in spite of rebellious ones in our midst. God reigns over the nations and He sits on His holy throne, not threatened by them, but in a posture of absolute and sure repose. His triumph is complete. And the princes of the nations come before Him and bow down. They come before Him and confess that He is good and He is great. And in so doing, all the terms of the Abrahamic covenant are realized. For this is a picture of that last day when Jesus comes again and He has all His holy angels with Him. And He separates the sheep from the goats. And He triumphs over sin and evil with His final judgment. And all from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, 
Every nation there represented had as its leaders that come and bow to him and follow him evermore. Oh, Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, the promise that Abraham would be not just a man and not just a family and not just a nation, but would bless all the nations and would be a father of many nations. We now see its fulfillment in the form of melody here in Psalm 47. As we end with the picture of the Mighty One, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, reigning over all. And so I leave you with this one last question. If you see and hear the sons of Korah singing about Jesus' triumphant return, whose side are you on? Let us pray.